Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the anxiety podcast with me, Caroline Ford. For this expert-led episode, my guest is Dr. Harry Barry. He has written 10 books to help us manage our mental health, and his latest is called Emotional Healing, and it's widely available now. We have a really enlightening conversation about the difference between mental illness and emotional distress, the latter of which is actually what most of us are dealing with. Understanding the nature of emotional distress is so, so important, and it takes an awful lot of the fear away from our experience of anxiety. We also go into great detail on panic attacks and phobias, the three distinct types of anxiety we, we might experience and how they happen in the body, as well as how we can intervene and get ourselves back to feeling at ease. Again, if I had listened to something like this a number of years ago when my anxiety was at its worst, it would have made an enormously positive difference to me, and I really hope it does for you. Please continue to support Owning It by tipping the series with the price of a coffee or or a pint over on patreon.com forward slash Caroline Foran or get hold of one of my two books, soon to be three, which I will link in the podcast notes. Um, enjoy this episode. Dr. Harry Barry, thank you so, so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. You have been on my wish list for so long to chat to you about anxiety because you have written, I've lost count of the amount of books that you've written at this stage. How many is it now? Uh, believe it or not, the one that's coming out now, um, or, 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 or is just out now, is Emotional Healing. It's actually my 10th book, believe it or not, Caroline. Ten books. Wow. I was feeling really proud of myself for having gotten my third book written, but now I've seven to go if I want to be anywhere near as successful as you. So congratulations on all of the books so far and being such being such an incredible resource for people like myself and other people who have struggled with mental health difficulties. So the new book is called Emotional Healing. Can you just give me a little bit about that before we get into the anxiety chat? Yeah, emotional healing is, is based on the concept that uh, the commonest uh, mental health problems that we all suffer from are not, believe it or not, mental illness, but actually uh, emotional distress. So we get emotionally distressed due to the literally myriad of things that life throws at us, uh, uh, including things like uh, loss, um, you know, relationship breakups, 
you know, all the different things that happened to us in life, previous abuse, all the different things. And my idea really was that the reason we get distressed is because we don't understand our emotions very well. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the reason we don't understand them very well is because we don't understand the thinking behind them. So the whole idea is of emotional healing is that if we can learn to identify our emotion responses to something, the thinking behind it and how we behave as a result, and then match our inner resources and begin to gradually subtly change those thinking and behavioral patterns, then we can do an enormous amount to self-heal. So the book is all really about self-healing. So it deals with areas like anxiety, depression, hurt, shame, guilt, anger, and about a third of the book is, 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 is all about the world of grief, the world of loss, this absolutely, totally distressing world of loss. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so appropriate to our um, your present situation because yes. so many of us are experiencing all of these emotions. Absolutely. It sounds fantastic. And I think what you said there was really important about how, do you think that there's a tendency to just sort of think about these things as mental illness where I don't feel like a mentally ill person or I, I haven't been diagnosed with an illness, but I think, you know, we all deal with these very normal emotions and experiences in life that we find distressing. And do you think there's too much of a tendency just to label something as a mental illness yes. when really it's very I, normal? Yes, Caroline, it's one of my big bugbears. I remember speaking at a large conference in London uh, on this, and I made the point that we all are talking about mental health. We are all terrified of the concept of mental illness, and none of us are actually talking about the one thing that actually really matters, which is mental distress or emotion distress. And what I mean by that is that, yes, of course we have serious mental illness in the form of maybe abouts, abouts, very important bouts of psychosis or bipolar disorder, maybe severe OCD, maybe severe eating disorders, maybe treatment-resistant depression, which is very, very serious depression. Um, so, of course, we can have bouts of mental illness, but the vast majority of people who are struggling with their mental health uh, are actually really struggling with uh, emotional distress or mental distress. And so it might be that they're anxious all the time. It might be yeah. that, they're, that they're down a lot of the time. It could be that they're struggling with feelings of guilt or shame about situations, or it could be they're struggling with even areas like grief or, or you know. So in other words, um, I, I would never classify myself, uh, anxiety in general, as a mental illness. To me, really, it's, it's just a very important cause of emotion distress. And that's a very important uh, it, it distinction, I yes. think. So, so and I think, I think it's an incredibly empowering distinction as well, because I think when when... I get a lot of people messaging me saying, oh, I've been diagnosed with this mental health condition. And, and to me, just even the language around that is very sort of um, defeatist or, well, this is just the way I am now and I can do nothing about it. Whereas with emotional you know, distress or things, these are things that are, are kind of um, you know, transitional. We go through them. We can come out of them. We can learn to, to get past them. Whereas, yes. you know, so I think it's really important to realize that, like what you said there, a good, a, so much of what we're dealing with is part of life and it's something that we can navigate as opposed to just plonking a label on our head and saying, well, that's it now, you're just screwed. Yeah, and, and for example, <clears throat> we don't talk enough about this, but there's no doubt in my mind that a lot of, uh, of self-harm and even some cases suicide are actually due to very severe emotion distress. Maybe people just unable to cope in certain situations can't see another way out of solving the problems. Yeah. So we either are self-harming or going a little bit further than that. Um, so I think it's a very important subject. And 
Um, it's why I wrote Emotional Healing, because I think it's so important that we, we, we have to understand ourselves a little bit better and realize that we can heal ourselves. You know, yeah. a really important, um, uh, uh, to me, this is, this is the whole basis of, of, of my thinking and beliefs, really, that, that all of us have the skills and resilience within ourselves to, to help ourselves. We just mm -hmm. don't realize we have them. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much that I would love to ask you about, as I said before, you're we recording, especially because you've got 10 books worth of information there. Um, but obviously the, the theme of this podcast is really for people struggling with anxiety. And um, so I wanted to try and hone in on some specific topics and yeah. um, to, to give people as much as possible. So I want you just mentioned their resilience. Um, do you think uh, in my understanding, I feel like sometimes people get the idea of resilience wrong and they think of it as well, you're, you're completely impenetrable to, to, to the bad feelings. Whereas for me, it's a bit more like flexibility and being able to bounce back. It's not, it's not about never feeling anxious or never feeling the bad stuff, but, but allowing for it and, and working through it or working around it. How do, yeah, how do you define I, it? I, 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 think, I think you're so correct. Uh, <clears throat> when I wrote Emotional Resilience, which was my eighth book, I'm losing track at this stage, mm -hmm. um, I, I did a lovely uh, th introduction to it where I talked about the, the famous uh, Aesop's fable of the oak and the, the, the willow. And the idea was that the oak tree both lived by the river. The oak was majestic and very powerful and seemingly totally resilient to, to all that uh, life could throw at it. And the poor old willow was... Uh, down at down to river, just bending and weaving. Do you know what I mean? As mm -hmm. as things came, and the oak used to say to the willow, kind of basically, you know, look how strong I am. Do you know what I mean? And just how weak you are. And then the massive storm comes, and of course the massive storm, because the oak is so big, gets uproots the oak, and the oak ends up on its on its side, and the willow. Uh, bends and weaves with the wind and so and survives. So the message really is the resilience is about the ability to be able to kind of weave our way and kind of be flexible and learn how to cope with lots of things that life throws at it. So that's really what resilience is really all about. There's also, I, I think, a big mistake that people make, in my opinion, anyway. They often regard resilience as something you have or you don't have. You're yes. kind of like born with it. Some people, we all know people that seem to be, seem to be uh, completely resilient and seem to be able to cope no matter what life throws at them. And other people, we, we, we feel... Uh, uh, we often say this about our young people nowadays that they're not as resilient and in my own opinion I don't think they are in some areas they're not as mm -hmm. resilient in other areas they're great um, but I do think that if we could if we could think of resilience more as <clears throat> I maybe I lack the skills to cope with situations and that's a different approach altogether so what I did in emotional resilience for example was I laid out a, 20 skills that I thought might be very helpful for all of us in our lives that might make us more resilient. So in other words, these are skills we can learn. Each of them we can learn within around three-month period. So wow. if I can learn to gradually put together a group of skills that make me a more resilient person, well, of course, I'm improving my emotional resilience, not, not because I had it inherently, but because I worked on myself to develop these skills. So therein lies, again, my whole idea that we can learn, we can learn these skills and techniques. We can learn new ways of doing things, and that's so important when we're dealing with anxiety. 
just listening to you there kind of reminds me of you know thinking of resilience as like a muscle in the gym and you get given like you say your 20 skills your 20 exercises that will help to strengthen it over time so it really is something you know you can go into the gym from the get-go being very physically weak and skinny and you can get somewhere it's something we can absolutely cultivate and it's not something we're born with and I, I, I completely agree that I, pe- I think people yeah, yeah. people think of it as a personality trait as opposed to a skill that yes. they can develop and, and, and I think this is an important thing for us all to learn <clears throat> that we all have the ability within ourselves if we learn sometimes we might need a little bit of um maybe just somebody to kind of show us the, the journey do you know what i mean it's like learning how to drive a car you might need to drive with an instructor for a few visits till you learn the basics but once you learn the basics and you start practicing yourself you suddenly realize that within three months later that you've you've learned how to drive a car and mm-hmm. uh, each of these skills is very very similar to that and learning to cope with anxiety there are huge similarities here mm-hmm. and there are certain skills that we need to have if we're going to cope better with it can I ask you for some specifics on the, the skills that you would recommend specifically for emotional resilience when it comes to anxiety? Well, I think the, the classical skills, the most important one for me uh, is the one that nobody ever talks about. And that's we must learn to understand the physical nature of anxiety mm-hmm. and learn to understand that there are that there are nice techniques that we can use, to, uh, particularly in the areas of panic attacks and phobias, which can be life transforming for many, many people. So learning how to learning that uh, anxiety has a physical nature and learning how to understand how to cope with that is key. And I think after that, <clears throat> it depends on the kind of anxiety. I think the biggest um, concern for me, uh, uh, and I think I do this very well in emotional healing, is that we don't we we classify anxiety in this general vague kind of way instead of being more precise about it. So. If somebody comes to me with anxiety, I will say to them, look, there are three kinds of anxiety and which groups, group or groups do you find yourself falling into? So let's go through those three groups. The first group are those who suffer from primarily acute anxiety or more what we call panicky kind of feelings or panicky symptoms. Mm -hmm. And these are basically people who are suffering from panic attacks or who are suffering from the multitude of different phobias. That's mean that a phobia is basically a fear of, say, going into a shopping centre, going into a crowded space, going into a church, going into going on a plane, getting on a bus, getting on a train. And these are these can paralyze people's lives. And they are all associated with acute anxiety. So you'll probably find that a percentage of people who come to see me, yeah, that's where I fit. The okay. second group would be uh, what I call social anxiety. Social anxiety is where I become extremely anxious when I have to go into a social situation where other people are going to be present. And social anxiety is very much about what other people will think of me in my mind when I go into those situations, that they'll see that I'm physically anxious and they'll start to make all kinds of assessments of it. And we can maybe discuss that now in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, the third type of anxiety is, is probably the one that most people uh, regard as anxiety. And we call this general anxiety. And that's where people are spending a lot of time worrying and foreboding and catastrophizing about everything that might possibly happen in their lives. Uh, and that's very often associated with some physical symptoms, again, like fatigue and sleep difficulties and tension headaches and, and those kind of symptoms. So you'll probably find that the, the most people in my experience 
who have social anxiety usually just have social anxiety on its own as a general rule. Uh, I find quite a number of people will come to me, they don't really have general anxiety, but they might be suffering from a panic attacks or they might be suffering from phobias and just really want help as to how to deal with them. <clears throat> and another group then will be suffering from this constant regular bouts of general anxiety where they spend a lot of their time worrying away about things and constant sense of foreboding that something terrible is going to happen, even though deep down they know that nothing is going to happen, but they can, they're not able to to kind of find a way to deal with that. And that would be one of the commonest types that particularly women will, in my experience, a lot, mm -hmm. of, a lot of women will suffer from this. It's, it's twice as common in women for reasons that are probably, uh, you know, they're probably partly genetic, they're probably partly hormonal, but I believe a lot of them are due to the fact that women are the multitaskers, they're the homemakers, they, they, they put, they, they, there are so many pressures on them from so many areas that I think that many of them respond to that stress with anxiety and that anxiety begins to grow legs. But there is no doubt, definitely in my experience, that uh, you, know, you often find the, 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 the mother who has general anxiety, the child may begin to learn some, some of the influences from the mom and by the time they become adults, they may be more likely to have general anxiety as well. So sometimes you see it coming through in families um, okay. But it, to me, it doesn't matter Do you identify uh, in yourself which of these groups um, are bothering me. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, and it's possible to have, uh, say, uh, it would be quite common to have a mix, say, of panic attacks and general anxiety. Do you well, know that, was, that was my experience for a long time where... Um, uh, it was 2014 and everyone listening now will, will know my story at this stage, but I just had a couple of um, experiences that just were, were chronic stress that I left unaddressed. And then it, it was a very physical, you know, you, my body telling me some, something's not right here. You need to take a step back. And I was ignoring it. So I started to produce, you know, an awful lot of the, the cortisol. And, and of course, I didn't understand yeah. any of this at the time. Um, I would describe my anxiety then as kind of a constant wave of anxiety, you know, not relating to anything specific, but just yeah. feeling uneasiness and feeling kind of frightened and feeling as if I'm on edge and I'm, I'm, I'm being threatened yeah. in some way. And then with those kind of spikes of panic every now and then, which are just terrifying when it happens. But yeah. I think you mentioned there, and that really what made such a difference for me was understanding the nature and the mechanics of anxiety and in those different kinds of anxiety and the, the physical reaction, because... Like, for example, right now, like with the pandemic, I think I, I noticed from like my podcast stats that have kind of gone up, there's an awful lot more people feeling anxiety now who maybe have never felt before or maybe have never identified it before. And there's a tendency just to say, I feel anxious. Let me solve it. What can I do about it? Yet they're, they're not taking the time or we're not having the conversations to understand why the anxiety is there, why it's happening. And for me, that's so crucial to, to, to really get to a point of it not affecting you so negatively rather than just, you know, crisis meditating or slapping some, you know, a pill on the situation. You need to understand how normal anxiety is and how it can happen. So yes. I'd love to yeah. ask you, could, in your words, could you explain how anxiety comes about in the body? Right. Well, I think the first thing is that we, ha we have to understand that uh, the, the anxiety, let's go to the physical side. Let's start with the brain itself. You have two cr critical structures that are important here. You have the prefrontal cortex, which is at the right and left side of your brain at the front, just, just over your eyes. And basically, the right side of your 
your brain is where you catastrophize. This is where your, 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 um, your evolution has allowed us this opportunity to predict into the future, to, to kind of predict what could happen. And unfortunately, with the person who's very anxious, the right prefrontal cortex is very, very active in catastrophizing. But the, the critical part of, 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 of anxiety is the second one is in your emotional brain called the amygdala. And it's, the amygdala is kind of, I, I call them the, the father and mother, really, of anxiety. Yeah. Because basically, this is the organ. It's a very old, ancient organ there from the time of the dinosaurs, nearly. And it is in charge of your whole stress system. And it's also, it's also very important in that it generates a lot of your emotions. But it's critical in the area of fear and anxiety. So, for example, when we're acutely uh, anxious, um, let's, let's suppose you were going to go into an important interview and you find yourself very, very anxious. What's actually happened is that your amygdala has sent information down to your adrenal gland over, over, your, over your kidneys to produce your... Uh, acute stress hormones, uh, adrenaline. And adrenaline is your fear hormone. And it's the guy that makes you feel uh, heart going fast, shaking, sweating, stomach and knots, all those things that we'd all be quite used to uh, going in, for example, to an important interview or to do a big test. Um, then if we're chronically anxious, suppose we're just worrying away all the time under constant uh, uh, constant catastrophizing about what might happen or this vague general unease that something terrible is going to happen. Then what's happening, the amygdala sends information down to my adrenal gland to pump out glucocortisol. And this is our chronic stress hormone. And mm -hmm. this is the guy that really does all the damage in during our lockdown, for example. I'm uh, so familiar with cortisol. Yeah. It's my, my enemy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think really important though, there's a great thing, if I know my enemy, I can learn to sort exactly. them out. You know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, Cortisol is the guy that gives us this constant feeling of being tired but wired. Uh, it gives you a lot of fatigue. It's inclined to interrupt with your sleep. So you may have sleep difficulties like nightmares or teeth grinding. It gives you tension, headaches. Um, and sometimes as well, if you're, you're persistently anxious, you get a low-grade adrenaline buzz as well. It's kind of a, a background thing of your stomach maybe um, a little bit not maybe the heart a little bit quicker maybe sighing a lot is more a cortisol yeah so we often get um, primarily cortisol in general anxiety but maybe small little bursts of adrenaline whereas when we're acutely anxious as in a panic attack or a phobia then we're pumping out more adrenaline uh, or acute fear hormone so that that's more coming out in bursts short bursts usually like if it's our panic attacks or our phobias so I think understanding um, this is very important because um, we, can, we can learn to manage these physical symptoms if we understand them. But if we don't understand, uh, can I just give a little, a little, this might be very helpful for a lot of people out there. Many, many people wake up in the morning and before they've even had a chance to think about what might go wrong in the day, they find up, they wake up and they're shaking and they're sweating and their stomach is nuts and their heart is pounding. And, they, you know, they're, they're, they're almost panicking that they're getting these symptoms and nothing has actually happened. They haven't yeah. even had a chance to think about anything. So <laughs> and, then very, and then you're panicking about the fact that you're, you're panicking. panicking about panicking. So um, a very useful bit of information that I find often helps many people is to understand, for example, that when you're dreaming, and we dream in the last four hours of the night. And the closer we get to waking up in the morning, the, the, the more we dream. And we get these 18-minute 
bursts of what we call REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep where we dream. And during those dreams, a really important thing happens. The amygdala is 30% more active than it is when you're awake. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay. So what's actually happening in your dream is you're, you, don't even, you don't remember the context of the dream. But, for example, you might have been chased through the jungle mm-hmm. uh, and, and, some, and, and your, your heart is pumping, out, uh, pumping because your adrenaline is pouring into your, into your body. And you have no idea why this is happening, but you wake up and you're having all of the effects as if uh, your amygdala was pumping away when you were awake. And all that's happening is that you're coming out of a dream. So wow. actually, that's a very helpful thing to understand because it, it just and remember that two thirds of our dreams are anxious dreams. And if we're very anxious during the day, the chances are we're going to be very anxious during our dreams at night. So therefore, it's much more likely you're having an anxiety dream. And yes. that's why you wake up like that. And it's a great relief to many people to say, OK, that's normal. There's, there, yeah. there's nothing particularly wrong with me. And it's just I'm just it's just having uh, one of those dreams. I think understanding that and knowing for those things like as well, I don't know if, if, if I'm right in saying, but I've, I've talked about this before that we naturally produce more cortisol in the morning to wake us up for the day. And for me, that helped explain why I felt um, like an extra but like jolt of anxiety in the morning. And it could be well the dreams as well. But when you have these, um, this information and this knowledge and you understand those parts of the brain and how stress can wear down the prefrontal cortex, you stop kind of thinking of it as, oh, this is all your own fault and you need to just snap out of it because it's not something you can just become aware of and then yeah. make go away instantly. It takes time to rebalance yeah. all those things in the body. Is that fair to say? Well, yeah, I think though, I think uh, this is now where it gets very interesting. I would say if the person has a phobia or is having panic attacks, the really great bit of information here is that in general, uh, I'm going to give you a little technique now in a minute. Uh, you can actually really eliminate those within a certain period of time, within a pretty short period of time, if you're prepared to put the effort in, which is a fantastic. Um, um, for example, I had one person uh, came to me from France and they had six different phobias. And by within six weeks, they had cleared all their phobias. 
So the, the great message here uh, that I'd love to get across is I really, I really feel very saddened when so many people are suffering, say, phobias and can sort them out, can deal yeah. with them, can learn to handle them. And many, many people are having panic attacks. Like I've had people come to me with panic attacks maybe for 20 years, 30 years, mm. and within a few sessions, they're able to develop techniques to actually learn how to deal with them. So, and is that when it's really related to something specific? Yes. Well, I think not necessarily. Phobias are about... Uh, the difference between a panic attack and a phobia is very simple. In a panic attack, I get this acute burst of adrenaline, which lasts for, uh, should be lasting only around 10 minutes, but often lasts a lot longer for reasons that I'll explain. But it, it can happen to me anywhere. It happens suddenly. I, I have no explanation for it. I'm not particularly bothered about it. And I'm not assigning it to any specific situation. So it just happens. And that's what terrifies people so much. Mm -hmm. In other words, I might be sitting uh, in, 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 at, at home watching TV. I could be maybe at work. I could be, I could be out, in, uh, out somewhere and suddenly I get a just burst of adrenaline and I'm shaking, I'm sweating, my heart is pounding um, uh, and I think, I think I'm going to die. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's an acute uh, panic attack. Whereas a phobia is where I'm, I, I get incredibly anxious if I'm exposed to certain situations that I'm going to get exactly the same type of symptoms. Okay. So in other words, I now assign the, the uh, it might be if I go on a plane, I'm going to get it. If I get on the bus, I'm going to get it. If I go into, uh, if I go into a shopping center, I'm going to get it. So, but they are, they are practically identical, believe it or not, in terms of how you deal with them. They okay. both are acute adrenaline bursts. And the secret to them uh, is to use a, a technique called flooding. Because what actually happens to us in a nutshell, if you'd like me quickly to go through this, yes. um, is that when we're having a panic attack uh, or a phobia, what we, we're assigning a danger to these physical symptoms. In other words, I begin to get these physical symptoms, my heart pounding. I assign a danger like I'm going to get a heart attack, stroke, collapse or die is the commonest one. And going to lose control is massive, particularly for women, huge, huge issue. Going to lose control and run amok. Uh, people will see me in that feeling of shame. Yeah. And maybe I'm going mad. Mm. So, I, so they're the four dangers. So I now demand the symptoms stop. And the more I demand they stop, the more my amygdala fires even more. And then what's my behavior is uh, I go off to A&E. Uh, I, I go to my GP and maybe go on tranquilizer. I leave the area. I try and stop this, the physical symptoms. Uh, I try breathing exercise. And I find that none of these things are really working. And they, uh, so all that's happening uh, when I get the panic attack is um, I get incredibly panicky. And then I get this burst of adrenaline, which gives me my shaking, my sweating, my heart pounding, my stomach and knots, and all these physical symptoms that we're so, so used to. And of course, the way I teach people to deal with these is I tell them about meeting a leopard in Africa and that before I even registered that there was a leopard there, I'd already, uh, I'd already frozen to mm -hmm. the spot and I was shaking and sweating and heart pounding and all the varying things that, 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 that I talked about. Uh, and then I registered it was a leopard. And of course, all that was happening was my amygdala has the job of seeing danger uh, in our emotional mind or from the external area and it gets that information first and it sends a burst of adrenaline into my bloodstream it 
which is what gave me all those physical symptoms. And of course, all that it's doing is preparing me to run. That's all that an adrenaline rush is actually doing. It's preparing you to do a runner. But in fact, it wouldn't allow me to run until the leopard had gone around 10 or 15 uh, yards. And then I made a beeline back to the house. And when I got back to the house, everything settled down. Yeah. And of course, the secret to this is that that's our normal stress system acting in a normal way. And all that happens in a panic attack is I'm inadvertently assigning a danger to these physical symptoms, which are, which are actually not there at all. So when you realize that I'm not going to drop dead, I'm, I'm not going to lose control, people are not going to see me, and I'm not going mad, then I suddenly realize that it's just a discomfort of the physical symptoms. So then we used the t t technique of flooding, which is very well done, by the way, in, in uh, a number of the books. It's done emotional healing, done emotional resilience. And flooding is all about learning to go with the physical symptoms, to stop fighting them. Yeah. You actually visualize that you're stuck to the seat or uh, if you sit down, stuck to the seat, you can't move, you're not allowed to do anything. You're not, you just have to embrace these, learn to go with them. And something really important happens when you do that. The amygdala changes its memory. Okay. And this is a critical thing. So not only do you learn to, uh, to very quickly the attack begins to recede when you learn to go with them, but the amygdala starts changing its memory. So bit by bit, after using this technique over a number of times, you find it switches off and your panic attacks stop. Okay, so you're kind of exposing yourself to the feeling, reassuring your body and your amygdala that actually it's okay, you can stand down, we're safe. And then it starts to trust that in, in yes. you over time. And then you might yes. have the same reaction. So, so um, like kind of a, a word I would have used in, in my second book would be like kind of fear extinction. Is that? Yeah, I, I, yes. Well, what actually happens in... in, in I did this in anxiety and panic. It's the, the actual neuroscience of it is that the, the amygdala actually, the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala work together to, extinct, to, to extinguish that fear. Yeah. But the critical thing is from, I, just to make it very simple for somebody listening, is that if you can learn to just regard the, the, the amygdala as a gunslinger, uh, that's not very smart, is not a particularly smart organ, uh, so it, it, you have to learn, you, you can't talk to it. If you're trying to talk to your amygdala, you're wasting your time. And that's what everybody's trying to do. Yeah. You're trying to convince their amygdala that, that it has to stop. But the amygdala only responds to experience. So by yeah. learning to go with the experience, the amygdala realizes you're no longer assigning a danger and switches off. Uh, so, so you're actually, you're communicating with your amygdala through a physical response rather than trying exactly. to talk to it. Exactly. And the mistake that everybody's making is they're trying to talk to it. Yeah. He doesn't do talk to her. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So that's, I mean, that's crucial. And that has been very much my approach as well is, you know, I, I think I get so many messages. How do I make this go away? How do I stop it? How do I cure it? And for me, the, the massive changing point was allowing for the feelings and like you yes. say, going with it and flooding is, is a new word to me. But um, I, my, my, I suppose my first book was called owning it and it's just okay. Let, letting it happen. There you are. I hear you. It's okay. And I know that it will settle down. And for me, that was a very hard thing to want to accept as part of a kind of healing process or, you know, yeah. you don't, you, of course, it's not a nice feeling. You don't want to relish. You don't want to. Yeah, it. I think I, yeah, I think it's really important that if, if I can learn to accept the discomfort of flooding yeah. and going with it, then very quickly my, my, my emotional brain, my amygdala learns that there, there isn't a danger. And it, it, the important part is it downplays its memory. Yeah. Down regulates its memory. And then you can actually bring about change that will 
you know, over time, you won't be experiencing panic attacks to that extent. Yes. And, oh, absolutely. And, if you, if you, if you, but it's more importantly that you stop fearing getting them. Yeah. Because you now know what to do. Yeah. And that's been my experience, thankfully, is that I, I you know, I think I had one just a while ago um, where I was, so I'm seven months pregnant and I was very, I was, I was out of the gig and it was just when the pandemic was kind of kicking off and I felt uncomfortable. I was in a very crowded space and I just, it, it was kind of the first time in a few years that I'd felt a panic feeling and I just knew, I just knew, okay, I need to just sort of walk away here. I just need to let this happen. I just sat down in a cubicle in, in the venue and just, I did the flooding thing really. And, yeah. um, but for me, so, so there's the flooding, but then there's another part that's really crucial. And this is something that you, you would cover in um, self-acceptance. And for me, it's that ability to not try to be a different person who never has an anxious response, but to, to allow for the person that you are. And self-compassion for yeah. me made, made me, so that coupled with the flooding meant that the next morning I felt completely fine. So I wasn't, you know, post-morteming myself saying, oh, yes. what does this mean? Does this mean you've gone backwards? Does this mean you're not able to cope? Which I would have yeah. done. It's so easy to be self-critical. And when yeah, you're, you I, know. I, I, I think what you're talking about here is, um, so we, 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 there's two separate issues here, but um, the first one is you have to normalize anxiety. Yeah. The biggest problem that we have in our modern society, and my God, I see it an awful lot, is we are abnormalizing anxiety in the sense that we're abnormalizing ourselves for being anxious. Yeah. In other words, what's wrong with me that I'm anxious? And the answer is, there's nothing wrong with you. Do you know what I mean? You're a, you have to learn unconditional self-acceptance that you're a lovely, special, unique person, that we all get anxious in different situations. But sometimes um, I think if we're if we're struggling a little bit with with general anxiety, I think there are a couple of important um, techniques that we need to kind of talk about. That usually what happens is if I'm suffering from general anxiety, I'm not just worried just about the physical side. I'm also there's an awful lot of rumination going on, a lot of worrying, a lot of catastrophizing, and that's stimulating my right prefrontal cortex, which is in turn triggering my amygdala to produce cortisol, which has given me all the uh, physical symptoms that we talked about. So really, really important. There's two parts to anxiety. Anxiety is where I demand something of myself and rate myself as a failure if I can't achieve it. That's the key to really most anxiety. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to control things in my life, you know, that I must never get sick, that, mm -hmm. you know, that I mustn't lose my job you know, whatever the particular demand is that I'm making. Uh, that you, because what's happening in anxiety is I'm trying to basically to control some aspects of my life. And when I can't control them, I regard myself as a failure. And, and so the unconditional self-acceptance gets rid of the failure bit. Because if I learn to accept that human beings cannot be rated as successes or failures, they can't be rated as weak or strong, uh, they can't be related as worthless, all these awful terms that are, that are internal critics and trying to use about us. So, so many people come to me and they're actually feeling terrible about themselves that they are anxious. So the first thing I have to do is to normalize it and say, look, you know, we all get anxious. There's nothing wrong with being anxious. And you have to learn to, 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 to love and accept yourself as a unique, wonderful, special person you are and just take responsibility for, for your behavior. So try to learn some techniques to deal with your anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's it's so important that you start from that point of self acceptance because yeah. I find that if you're if you're applying these techniques and then they're not working for you, then you're just even more hard on yourself, and that's where I was yeah, at a certain point. That's right. So remember, 
the secret to, to unconditioned self-acceptance is that if I'm doing my best, if I'm trying my best to do something, then I'm doing all that I can do in that circumstances. So I can rate my behavior or my actions or how well I did in, in relation to doing something, but none of that should ever uh, make me rate myself as a person. So when you realize that you're a wonderful, special person, that you can't be rated, human beings aren't like commodities. We can't measure ourselves or rate ourselves. Uh, a great exercise to do that we often do is, is I get you to rate yourself between one and 100 as a person. I do this with everybody who comes to see me. And they usually write down, particularly uh, if they're anxious, they may, they may rate themselves down. It might be like down to 30 or 40. And then I say, well, where do other people rate you? And they give a rating. And then I might say, well, suppose you feel you're not doing well with your anxiety. Where would you rate yourself there? And that might go down to 10. Mm. And then, well, how would other people rate you uh, if they heard you were very anxious? And they might go down to 20. So, and then I would turn around and say to the person, but on what grounds did you rate yourself to start with? Can you rate a person at all? In other words, it's a trap. Yeah. So what we're actually doing is, depending on how well or how, how badly we're doing at, at something, we rate ourselves as we merge that with our personal rating. And that's why social media is a disaster in terms of anxiety. Because if we spend our lives comparing our lives, for example, our photographs, our Instagrams, how great we're doing or not doing, uh, uh, with each other, then we're anxious all the time that I'm not as I'm not as great as that person. I'm not doing as well as that person. So if we if we start playing this rating game, as I call it, we can be absolutely miserable. So just learn to say, look, you know, I'm happy with who I am. This is who I am. I learn to love and accept myself. I have to be responsible for any of my actions and behaviours. I can certainly try to do. Uh, I can certainly try to develop some new techniques to help my anxiety. But whether, I, whether I'm successful or not in the short or long term will never define who I am as a person. You know, you're always that wonderful, special person, no matter what. It's so important, yeah. And before I let you go, Harry, if there was one message that you really want to get through to people that would make their experience of anxiety a little bit easier or one thing that they might remind themselves of when they find themselves right in the thick of a feeling of panic or anxiety and they start to be hard on themselves, what would that be? And I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Well, I suppose I'd probably combine a, a, a couple of things. I would say learn to accept that the physical symptoms of anxiety are, are very, very common and quite normal and learn to, to how to manage them. That would be the first one. The second one would be stop trying to control things in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, most people are so busy thinking they can control things in life. Life controls us. We don't control life. So if we're looking for absolute certainty in relation to anything, it doesn't exist. Third thing would be stop catastrophizing. Uh, that's where you're visualizing the worst case scenario all the time. Uh, a, a very nice way of doing that is visualize that if you had, uh, uh, if I asked you, what do you visualize when you visualize spilt milk? Some people would say, most people would say a puddle. And I would say, but suppose, I suppose we spilt it was only a drop. So what you're doing in your emotional mind is often turning the drop into a puddle. So write it down and look for evidence. Is it a drop or a puddle? And the last thing I would say, and the most important thing of all, and I've always said it's the most important thing in mental health, is learn to love and accept yourself as the wonderful person that you are. Just be comfortable with yourself. You don't have to be anybody else. Yes, you may get anxious from time to time, 
but we all stop abnormalizing yourself just because you're anxious. And I think the minute you do that, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll then just learn, look, just anxiety is just my way of handling certain situations. So maybe I just need to learn some new techniques to try to, to, to improve that. And once you learn those techniques, you can turn your life, you can heal yourself. I think that's probably the great message. You can yeah. heal yourself if you have the right information and techniques. And you don't need experts, by the way. You can yeah. do this yourself. And I think that's just such an amazing message to end on uh, and the reassurance that I certainly would have craved hearing um, way back when was just that I, I will, I can heal myself. I do have the resources in me. I just need to maybe learn a couple of skills and work to that point of self-compassion and and allow myself to, to feel the feelings. So Dr. Harry Barry, I can't thank you enough. I know that people will find this episode so helpful. Your new book, Emotional Healing, is available now in, I guess, everywhere online. Oh, in all bookshops, in Easton's and Dupre and Hodgepig and all good bookshops. And internet. So I have a lot of listeners in the UK and America and Canada. Yeah, actually it's been released in London uh, and I did an article in the UK Daily Mail actually in relation to it. Uh, and it's uh, freely available in, in, in bookshops in London, like Waterstones, etc. Yeah. And uh, possibly we'll see in the future whether we can. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's on Amazon on the likes. People can get hold of it. Thank oh, you so yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, just best of luck with um, the new book coming out, and I'm sure it will be an, a massive bestseller as always. And I really can't thank you enough for your time. And I've learned an awful lot just even from our, our 45 minute chat. So thank you so much, Dr. Harry Barry. No, talk, Carolyn. It was a pleasure. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.